0: This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Make us to have a perpetual fear and love of thy holy name. This line that we prayed earlier in the Collect Prayer for this week speaks of the necessity of loving and the necessity of a loving obedience to almighty God. It's not in our nature as fallen to obey in a loving manner. Our default if you think about it with obedience without God's grace and help is either to disobey completely or to obey in a manner we see fit with a sprinkling of disobedience throughout. This half-hearted obedience is very common And it's what we encountered today in our lesson in 1 Samuel with King Saul. Saul is a perfect example of what is common for all of humanity, to obey only in our manner, the way we see fit, often with horrible consequences. Today, let us, as we continue our series in 1 Samuel, meditate upon a proper and loving obedience to God through asking continually for his help and his grace to have a consistent fear and love of his name. Verses 4 through 9 speak of how Saul responded to God's commandment relayed through Samuel that we observed last week in the opening parts of chapter 15. There is hope early, as we see in this lesson today, that Saul spared the Kenites who were the descendants of Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. This people had lived among the Amalekites for generations. For Saul to spare them was an act of mercy and within the bounds of following God's commandment to destroy the Amalekites entirely. However, it is what we encounter in verse 9 that is the downfall of King Saul. Things, as we read, went very well in terms of warfare and battle, devoting to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Now it is important to note that this meant Saul conducted this battle within the confines and the reach of Israel's army. We will encounter more Amalekites towards the end of 1 Samuel, noting that they were not completely destroyed. Verse 9 speaks of Saul's incomplete obedience. But Saul and the people spared Agog, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatted calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless was devoted to destruction." In Saul's eyes, and we know already from the earlier chapters of this book about his impulsiveness and his impatience, that this sparing of the good things along with the king of the Amalekites was no longer something out of the ordinary. Saul was displaying a consistent impenitence in his behavior. This meant he did as he pleased and apologized often when he was caught but continued down this road of disobedience at the next major opportunity. Even with with major confrontations and interventions through God's prophet Samuel earlier, Saul kept on this path of a partial obedience. He could not trust God enough to see God's hand at work. He wanted the glory giving his men the best of the livestock, or giving in to his men's request for the best of the livestock, and what was good of the spoils of the battle, placed Saul in a place of being Israel's provider, while not allowing and not obeying God to be their sole provider. He gave them the spoils of battle, sparing the king, displayed Saul, seeking human-centered peace. Instead, Of the way of God. Saul could just, he could not go that full mile in obedience. We must be wary of this Saul-like streak in all of us. With the help of the Spirit, we must ask God's help to love him in response to his love through loving our neighbors, and yes, even loving our enemies. As warned in our epistle today in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We're called, as Christians, to love. Even when it goes contrary to people calling us to a half-baked love. Even if it is the state dictating that we only are allowed to love certain segments of humanity. While treating others with disdain. Or even worse, we can look at our society and see that the love that our state tells us to love is only halfway, sparing some and allowing others to be murdered. As First John three seventeen states, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? A Saul-like streak in matters of obedience is rather easy to slip into regarding Christian love, thinking we have the ability to determine all that deserve our love. Yet it is not for our determination. 1 John and the rest of the New Testament does not speak of a selective love. It does not leave it in our hands, but rather we are to love all we encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. Our obedience demanded now through the love of God is to devote all that we encounter with the gospel, with the love of Christ. God, as we read throughout scripture, is the avenger of sin. We are not. As Saul disobeyed and not devoting all that he came across to destruction, we sin as well when not devoting all we are commanded to the love of Christ. It is a trust issue to leave it all in God's hands, to love as commanded. When we fail to love as God has commanded us throughout his word, the call is to repent. The call is to ask for help, to love as commanded. The call is not to repent and then give worldly excuses for our disobedience. Such excuses that we see today for a lack of love stem from the personal that certain people are disagreeable to us or are uncomfortable to be around. Therefore, withholding a Christ-like love and simply doing things like tolerating others rather than loving them becomes normal. Now, some might scoff here and say, but wait a minute. Toleration, isn't that a great mark of love, as our culture tells us? to do for all groups, to tolerate them. Yet, if you really think about it, toleration is not love. For instance, the Merriam-Webster definition of tolerance is to allow to be or to be done without prohibition, hindrance, or contradiction, to put up with. Putting up with someone is not love. But a worldly construct to give excuses as to why we will not love with the love of Jesus Christ. Christian love is to love love someone enough to embrace them truly in Christ. To even confront their unrepentant sins with the gospel, with the truth, with the offer that Jesus gives all of us to repent, to turn to him. Toleration is to let the person sinning continue in their mire without the challenge of the gospel. This is not love. Tolerating or putting up with people that are not sinning but make us uncomfortable becomes an excuse to withhold Christian love. We are not to tolerate each other in the church, but we are to embrace one another in the church in the love of Jesus Christ. God demands total obedience, regardless of what our culture tells us, regardless of what our government tells us. After reading of Saul's rebellion and not carrying out God's order, verses 10 through 21 speaks of God using Samuel to confront Saul along with the excuses that Saul gave in our lesson. This section opens with God telling the prophet he regretted making King Saul king, due to his act of disobedience. After crying unto the Lord all night, Samuel goes out to meet the king. Verse 13 contains the first exchange of their meeting with Saul speaking first. Note though in verse 12, Samuel had heard that Saul set up a monument to himself after this battle. Not only did this king disobey God, His passing from a king in the service of God was clearly evident in his self-promotion. Verse 13 states the words of Saul, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. As we read, Samuel then asked why did he hear livestock. To this probing, much like God had to do with Adam and Eve after their sin in the garden, Saul blamed the people under him that wanted the very best of the livestock of the Amalekites instead of full obedience to destroy it all. Just as Adam and Eve, Saul gave excuses. Perhaps this was Saul's way of averting earlier chapters where many of the army deserted out of fear. Perhaps he wanted to keep his men together through his means, keeping them loyal to him. And not God. To this Samuel said the following in verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Again Saul chose not to repent. And yet gave further excuses. Repeating again that indeed they did obey God. But saved the best of the livestock to give an offering to God. Also, Saul glossed over the matter of sparing Agog, the king of the Amalekites. It was no excuse to disobey in order to make a sacrifice to God. Saul here did what we all naturally want to do when we're confronted with our sins. We like to give excuses. We like to make our sins even look like they were for the best, that somehow it should be good enough that there was a smattering of obedience within our disobedience, as Saul showed in our lesson. Such is also true when we disobey God by withholding our Christian love for others. Things like, yes, Jesus, I did not love that person that made me feel uncomfortable due to this or that, But at least I loved a bunch of people that were comfortable to me. Yes, Jesus, I did not love my enemies, but at least I loved all of my friends. Yes, Jesus, I did not love those my government told me to hate. At least I loved my country. The list goes on and on with our propensity to make excuses to not love those we are called to love. To close, Samuel said some pretty damning words to Saul and our propensity to try to offer God's sacrifices based upon serving self or any human institution against God. He starts with a compelling question in verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. This line finds repetition to many generations of disobedient Hebrews throughout the Old Testament. It was much a part of the Reformation, with a great segment of the church that had placed more confidence in doing the services correctly, rather than out of Christian love, faith, and obedience. Any time we try to deflect from our guilt by pointing out all the good we did in our estimation, it's the old age-old issue of human sin. We want to desperately earn salvation for ourselves, and we get frustrated that we cannot because even one drop of rebellion deserves the same penalty as an ocean of rebellion. We need the love of God in Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice that means we no longer need to feel the need to give excuses. To give the excuses Saul gave in our lessons. Yet, we still give excuses. Listening to love one another through Christ's grace is better than a million things done out of pride and the hope of being noticed. The call of Christian love is to do even the seemingly insignificant out of Christian love in the face of a tsunami of evil out of faith through grace, not expecting or even wanting to be noticed. That is the call for all of us as Christians, to love even if the world around us hates, to offer the gospel, even when the world around us despises the gospel. This is the perpetual fear and love of the holy name of God, knowing all has been made right through the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 23 closes our section with words that need to cause all of us as Christians to pause, to stop in terms of how we interact with our world. Samuel said, For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Our mission as believers is a faithful and loving obedience. When we rebel against God and his clear-cut word, it's the same as paganism. It's the same as witchcraft. When assuming to know What God is by thinking we have the power to veto his commandments, to interject the smattering of our disobedience. It is sin. It is idolatry. We we cannot go here as the body of Christ. It is out of bounds. Our mission as the church is a loving obedience, upholding Christ and his love over this world that promotes rebellion toleration and hatred of those that we do not want to love. Christ destroyed all of this with his sacrifice. Christ destroyed all of our excuses with his sacrificial love. Jesus destroyed our halfway measures of obedience with a full and total obedience to love us, to die for our sins. Yes, to die even for our enemies, to die even for our friends, to die for even those that make us cringe, to die for even those that make us smile. He died for all that call upon his name in loving faith, to obey his voice, that simple voice that says, love your neighbor, devoting all to his love, to his gospel. May we be a people that learn daily to put away the unloving ways of giving excuses through the help and the grace of Christ to rest in his arms. May we be a people that daily pray for his love to a perpetual fear and love of his holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.